Tonight I'd like to speak about uh, exploring boredom as a state of mind. <clears throat> and uh, the reason I picked this particular state of mind out, first of all, it's a talk about states of mind rather than boredom, but to use an example of where I'm going and how I'm, a, uh, how I'm uh, encouraging a discovery of and through a state of mind, I use boredom as an example. But I picked boredom out because, first of all, it's, uh, it's really nothing's happening. You know, it's not like a, it's not like a tragedy here. It's not like some of the other states of mind that seem to indicate that a tragedy is at, is n near, or is it a real grasping experience of delight and enjoyment? It's just blandness, really. And uh, I, I, I think we forget how much we are controlled by blandness. We usually go in the direction of aversion or, or attraction as what feeds our life. But uh, blandness has a, a real impact upon our life as well. And I think it's worth understanding that impact, especially when you're in meditation where nothing really exciting is going on. <laughs> Many of you think that something exciting should be going on. <laughs> but the meditation does not need to have something exciting to go on to be perfectly attuned to itself, to be uh, working well. And so, I mean, a, a good mantra, I think, is that nothing needs to be happening. Sometimes we shake ourselves up a little bit and think that you know, nothing's happening. Well, nothing needs to be happening. How are each of us when nothing is happening? Probably not so good. In fact, if you look at what the culture tells us about nothing happening, you can see where a lot of the, uh, the conditioning arises because really what the culture is pointing towards through its advertisement, through... Um, its inscriptions is that you know peak experiences. This thing should be uh, this thing should be really enticing all the time. It can't get any better than this, says the beer commercial. And that sort of uh, that jacking ourselves up so that we're always sort of you know on high uh, sort of a high level of intensity. Well you can see the toll that it takes on us as a culture, but also individually. It wears us down. You just can't maintain that level of intensity and expect it to work to your advantage. And so it's very important to hear the cultural conditioning that says, you know, if nothing is happening, then you're ordinary, right? If nothing is happening, what does that say about me? Maybe I'm the one that's boring. Maybe I'm boring. You see, and, and, and we can't stand that possibility. Uh, and as long as I have a kind of inward excitement to me, uh, as long as the intensity is at a certain rate, then it doesn't feel like that label can be placed on me. And so uh, ordinariness in this culture 
not in all cultures, but in this culture, is, is pretty much like, being, like saying you're average. You know, nothing remarkable about you. You're, uh, you just sort of fit somewhere in the middle somewhere. And with a culture that has been told that that's the worst possible place is in the middle because there's nothing unique about you. You see, so when the sense of boredom comes on, it evokes a certain cultural intonation from us. And of course, you know, that uh, this is not the way life is supposed to be. And then there's the possibility, if it's like this, that maybe that has implications about life being worth living or not. Maybe if boredom is the state of what life is without all of the additions we add to it, maybe fundamentally it isn't worth living. And I can can hear psychically, you know, that some of you really believe that. And in a sense in you that, you know, maybe it isn't. And that's the dreaded sense. That's the dreaded, at a certain uh, experience, uh, after a certain number of years of experience, you, you begin to sense that the excitements that we have lived life for are not going to be replicable. You get them occasionally, uh, but it's really not how you have to live. You can't live for the sake of a, of a, of an, of a high. Uh, and that there's always a low. Wherever there's a peak, there's a valley of equal, of equal depth. And that, you know, that, that life living from peak to valley is really just is sort of a life that's you're just being tossed around. And there's a maturity of mind that comes from that that says, you know, I will risk being boring. That is a risk. It's like you just meet somebody and you have nothing to say. <laughs> so you have to risk being ordinary. Right? Well, that one didn't even get a laugh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> these things are really deeply ingrained in us. And so this sense of boredom carries that packaging with us. Now I want to I want to just read something because uh, when I read it at a particular time, it gave me sort of hope from a life that I wasn't sure was worth living because of the conditioned way I felt myself being. I at one point in my early adulthood, very early adulthood. I felt uh, that there's nothing uh, original in me at all. I was saying, you know, I would been, spent uh, uh, 12 and 4, 6, 18 years in school. And I, what was coming out just was what was going in. And I recognized that there was really not too much new that my mind was creating 
and that my actions were really replications or reactions to my parents' reactions, mostly reactions to those. And that it ju I just felt very um, uncreated, creative. And uh, I felt the, the burden of that conditioning. I felt the, uh, the ongoing, uh, my ongoing personality was just kind of, just sort of running on empty. And it didn't, it wasn't an exciting life to look ahead the for the next 50 years. And so, uh, I, but then I got interested, a little interested in uh, Buddhism. And I read where the Buddha said, which I can't read because I don't have my glasses. <laughs> I got it now. Uh, there is an unborn, an uncreated, an unconditioned, an unformed. Were it not for the unborn, the uncreated, the unconditioned, the unformed, there would be no escape from the world of the born, the created, the conditioned, and the formed. It almost brought me to tears because I, I believed it. And I knew then that there was a way out and that the way out was through, through understanding the conditioning I was in. And so that really was the step in for me into Buddhism in which I then applied the practice to uncondition myself or extinguish the conditioning that was there. And that sort of became the vantage point from which I, how creative was I becoming? How original, how authentic, how authentic was I becoming? The word authenticity moved me very deeply because I wanted to be authentic. I didn't want to be just a road example of another generation of the Smiths. And uh, the, the sense of creativity felt like a breakthrough in terms of what it really meant to be truly spontaneous and truly natural. And so that's, that has always driven me, really. I was very sincere about that, uh, about that problem and its resolution. And may I say, when I look around at life, when I look around at people, I can really see the mechanics on which most of us operate most of the time that most of us are caught with a very deep and steep uh, conditioning that we, we don't even know that, it's, that we're held within its grasp. And I think perhaps even more despairing is that we don't want to get out of it. It's kind of the coaster ride. You know, it's, it's sort of life on ease. And, we, and we're willing to go through the unease of life because it's known to us. Even our definitions, our self-definitions are known to us. We have been called and called ourselves a certain thing our whole life, and that's very familiar to us. And we don't want to step out of that conditioning. We like the label we have. We like the assumptions we have about ourselves, even though those assumptions are the root of an enormous amount of psychic pain. And there's this, and it's an enormous, when you see it, from having stepped 
through it a few times, you see how people labor under uh, that, uh, those assumptions. And you know there's a way out, as proclaimed by that paragraph. And it really does arouse a great deal of compassion. In fact, it's the reason, I'm sure, that most teachers teach. I certainly know it's the reason that Narayan and I teach. To feel somebody be able to grow out of themselves, out of that packaging. To be able to have moments increasingly, with increasing numbers of true authenticity of true creative responses. That is the joy of teaching, to see that, to see that in people. And so when we're talking, when you look at what the universe, the world, has created from this sense of packaging, you also see the problems that have arisen from the particular conditioning that we envision on the world. That from the way we have packaged our perception of the sense of I and the sense of you outside of it. That's a distorted perception that two million years ago had its advantage as the reason that we created that perception was because we needed to survive. It's a survival perception. You out there, me in here, I've got to get up the tree before you eat me. And so that form of looking and seeing and perceiving became the basis of the next 200 million years, long after the ravaged beast had left the plains. We see ravaged beasts everywhere now, when there aren't any. And mostly we've made ourselves into one. So you begin to see that this, this thing with seven billion of us, it was fine when there were a few million. When I was born, 67 years ago, there were two and a half billion people. Now there are seven. At the end of the century, they're saying 13 billion. There's not, you, we have to do something here because we can't keep looking at the world with those numbers and, and participate it in the way that we have been with 13 billion self-centered views. You see, so this is an evolution we have to do. We either have to do or we are, as a species, we're just, we're going to be awash. So this isn't something that, well, when I have the time, it's really, there's a mandate here for us to evolve out of this particular perception. I mean, the problems today de demand it. The climate, the climate but I have a, my hope is that the problems will, that arise will force that evolution upon us, will force us into that direction. Because if you look at your own life, the reason you got involved quite likely with a spiritual journey is that your life wasn't working without it. In some way or other, there was some sense of despair that led you towards your own evolution of consciousness, which is what we're undertaking here now. And so as a culture, we can also reach that crisis and threshold where the culture as a whole or the world as a whole has to change. And I think that's what's happening now. 
in that crisis point. I'm hoping that's what's happening now. In any case, the point is, is to step out of conditioning. Okay, so when we step out of conditioning, what's left? And that's what I was saying to talk a couple of nights ago. What's left is existence. And I use the word existence because if I use the word emptiness, people say, I'm not going there. I don't want to be that. But emptiness feels like some, I can land there. You know, that there's something that's catches that's going to, I mean, we're all already existing. And since we're already existing, what are we losing? That's our fallback. That's where we land with that bare fact. That's not as obvious when I say, you know, emptiness. It's empty of thought. It's empty of self Definition. That's what it's empty of. But existence isn't empty. Empty existence is very full, full-hearted. Full-hearted. And so to step out of conditioning is to step into full-heartedness. Doesn't sound like a bad. <laughs> but it's not that easy for most of us. It, we don't just slip into full-heartedness. We have to go through our pain, through our conditioning. That's the hesitation. We don't want to go through our pain. We want to sort of do an end run. Go Seahawks. But that's the way through. The way through is to actually see what these states of mind are like. What are they? It's the mind that's dictating it, you see. When you have, a, when you have boredom, life is uninteresting. It's a waiting game. I'll wait this out. There's a good moment coming, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I, so I just, okay. So I'm not, I'm, I'm unfocused. I'm, I really am not involved with the moment at all because I don't want it to be there. I'm waiting it out. Right? So you can see that nothing is going on. And there certainly isn't any life going on. We're involved in a kind of waiting game. So let me just take you through... Some, what is actually happening in the mind that has created this sense of waiting? What is actually occurring? And this can be seen directly. We have the ability to attend to this process that I'm about ready to state. What's happening is that a state of mind... So let me tra- transgress a moment. What's happening is that uh, for some reason or other, uh, there's, uh, nothing is exciting is happening in that moment. <clears throat> okay, so it's without, it's without a lot of draw or withdrawal. And so it's kind of blank. It's like staring at a white wall. There's like nothing, not too much is going on here. And then there's a version to, oh, no, there's, I'm, I'm getting a little, okay. So then there is a sort of a feeling tone that comes up that is neutral about that white wall. It's white. It's not pleasant. It's not unpleasant. It's just white. 
But then what happens is that all the cultural conditioning that I mentioned about blandness comes in. Life shouldn't be bland. It should be exciting. That's one invested inscription in us. My God, blandness. Am I bland? That's another. Now the, it begins to take shape. The state of mind begins to take shape. And no longer is it neutral. We've now invested it with the inscriptions that make it aversive. So the blandness that we were, you know, it's just not very interesting, suddenly becomes an aversive state of mind. And now with that, the story of aversion of the past when things were bland, or with all the ways that I've been called bland by X, Y, or Z, or ordinary, or average, or that all the commercial, the end product of the commercials, you know, that always have a sort of an exciting... Uh, tone to them. All of that comes in. And life shouldn't be like this blandness. And we build a story upon a story, upon a feeling, a more story. And then an emotion comes up. Like, I'm bland. What's going on? Oh my God. And I'm bored. Oh my. That's, uh, now I'm caught in boredom. Me, you know, I have an XYZ degree and this, it's just boring. I, the way to escape it, I know, is my intellect. I'll think my way out of it. I'll create images, scenarios, memories that are much more enticing than this bland wall I'm facing. So now I'll go dive into and relish memories of the past or people I know, or maybe I'll go back home and visit the dog I left for a week. And it doesn't matter. Because the mind will go anywhere and do anything in order to, to arouse something from you, to arouse an engagement. But now you have stepped off the dive, the high dive, and you, you're in the air of thinking. And now once you have, once you have leaped out from that cliff, it can take you anywhere. Once you have given your life over to thought, thought will take you to the highs. You can go to last year's vacation. But I promise you, it will take you to the lows as well. And you are unable to stop it. And it's that abstract horror show that we finally realize we have to start bringing together with some sort of sanity. And so we do so. And what we do is that we land back in boredom. We realize we can't just escape it because we want to escape it. We have to deal with it straight on as a state of mind. And here's an important part We believe that the situation is boring. We don't believe that the boredom's in here. We believe it's out there external. And that if the conditions of life were different, boredom would go away. And that, of course, is not the case. The case is that there is no boring moment in life. There's no such thing. In fact, Narayan and I were talking at some 
retreat, a conversation I remember. And we both said, you know, do you have boredom anymore? She said, no. I said, I don't either. I'm just not bored anymore. At some point in practice, awareness sees from such a place that nothing is routine and ordinary. In fact, the extraordinary lives within the ordinary. It's just the perception, how we're perceiving as to whether the ordinary is boring or whether it's refreshingly new. And as Narayan was talking about last night, it's that don't know. You see, when you live with the story of what boredom means to you, then you do know what this moment is like. And you don't want any part of it. And so you don't journey into boredom. You try to flee it by doing all sorts of things. But when you are willing to endure whatever you think boredom is going to do to you, and you realize you have no escape from it, then your eyes become very fresh and alive. And you look at that moment very differently than you do when you're caught within the story, within the trance of that thinking. Because that's what it is. It's a trance. It's like, oh. And we're here to break that trance. And so what has to happen in boredom? Something, you see. We have to go into it. We have to feel the boredom. But you don't feel it by recycling in your aversion to it. God, I'm bored, but he says I have to do this, and this is... Five more minutes of the sitting. I am sure if it's not the sitting that brings that up, it's the walking. Because where are you going? What are you doing? You see, just look at what the walking is. When we move, we're moving purposefully, usually, to get something. That, for, the, for the experience of something where I'm reaching, getting the water down me. That's what I'm doing this for. That's what the reaching is about. It's purposeful. There's a production at the end of it. But when you're moving back and forth, and you don't have any reason for doing that, the mind is going to say, this, there's no purpose to this. And what you're going to end up with is a state of boredom, if you aren't careful, because there's no purpose. The only reason that you would be paying attention is because there's a goal out there where the action is leading you to. But this action isn't leading you anywhere. And the mind doesn't know what to do if the action isn't leading towards some heightened goal. And so it kind of implodes on itself. And it says, this is not worth paying attention to because it's not going anywhere. This is the logic of the trance of thinking. And so I said, well, tea is better than this. I'll go have some tea. (laughs) You don't think I haven't done this? (laughs) Right? And I brought that book with me. Nobody knows what's happening in my single room. (laughs) 
anything, anything to, to just to heighten this a little, to make it more pleasing, to make it more comfort, to make it more intense. Because I live for intensity, you see. That's what the point of life is. Now, how are you going to rate? If that is the way we think about life, what do you think that mind relationship to silence is going to be or simplicity? It's like a jail sentence. Why would I ever want to be simple? Why would I ever want to be quiet? Completely counterintuitive. Until you see the joy that comes from simplicity. Until you see the aliveness that springs forth from quiet. It simply offers us boredom. And as long as it offers us boredom and we treat it as boredom, we are recycling the conditioned, conditioning back into the mind. And the next time we look at a blank white wall, guess what? We never have enough staying power or commitment to stepping out of that conditioning by going through it. By saying, come on, boredom, come on, come at me. Come what may. Because boredom is the lack of interest. When you're bored, you're not interested. Now, here's a key point. The most important attribute for breaking out of a state of mind is interest. So how can a state of mind that holds no interest be interested enough to break out of it? It seems paradoxical, doesn't it? Except for one small thing, your heart, which thrives in the creative, thrives in the spontaneity, thrives within originality, wants nothing more than that unique expression of yourself. That piece is very interested in what's blocking that spontaneity. And it's willing to look at that, at that boredom with interest. Your heart, not your mind. Your mind is lost in boredom. There's nothing interesting up there. So be, it, only if there's sincerity. Otherwise, we'll be finding our way back to our room. You go, what's blocking my heart? What's going, what is this boredom? What's going on here? You see, that's a very sincere question that activates that interest. Once that interest is activated, there is nothing more powerful. It will see through. It's like steel-cutting stair. It will see through whatever is in front of it. And if boredom is in front of it, I'm on top of it. What's going on here? With, with curiosity, not with harshness, not with judgment. I want to know this state of mind. I want to see what is there. It's blocking my heart, for God's sake. I want to know what's blocking my heart. And it turns in on itself to see what is there. 
and it starts lighting up because once interest touches what seems to have been boring, it's no longer boring. It's interesting. So the very sense of disinterest that boredom feeds upon cannot be sustained from the light of your heart that's interested in what obstructs it, what obstructs it. And it turns back in to discover that. You see, it's just another, it's another part of ourselves that is underused. We, just, we think it's all up here in this kind of logic of, of the trance of my thinking. You know, I'm bored and I've been there before. I know all about it. It's like, oh, uh, you know, something will save me out of this. Something will come up. Maybe, you know, it would be a siren or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, snow. That's good. I'll go out. <laughs> You know, something to save me. I'm talking about all states of mind. All states of mind. Loneliness, irritation, annoyance, a thousand states of mind. Each one have their logic, their tone, their expression. They have their sentences. They have their memories. Oh, loneliness, oh. God, my whole life. See, all of a sudden, all, it's your whole life. That, it's just like, oh. <laughs> nothing, there's nothing new. I don't know why it takes so long for us to get fed up. Especially when it's as close as your existence. I'm not going to live within this. I'm not going to die this way. wringing my hands and wishing I had been better and regretting and oh, worrying and oh my God, hell and oh, not dying that way. And you realize the door. You realize the door. And this, this kind of, we get into this partial heart. You see, boredom, you know, do I, can I arouse enough? You see, you see I mean, when, when everything is telling us that, we, that anything good is, you know, intense and entertaining, no wonder we have such aversion to states of mind like sleepiness. It's the worst thing, you know, it's like because there's no vitality there. You know what? There's just as much as of existence and sleepiness as there is in wakefulness. It's not diminished one bit by what hangs its hook upon itself. 
Yes, I'm bored. But is awareness bored? If we were just to make that very subtle switch to see that that which sees holds the interest to dissolve that which is being seen. Instead of losing ourselves in the story, in the logic, in the trance of the state itself. Because that's just conditioning. We have learned that this state represents this. We've had it a thousand times. Of course we know it. And so we just kind of hunkered down through it, through every state of mind. A thousand of them pass through you in the course of this week together. And each one is totally believable and says opposite things than the one you just had. One says, I've got to leave. The other one says, there's nothing better than this place. Within the same hour, And each one is totally invested in and believed. Yeah, I've got to get out of here. That's it. <laughs> and we don't even see that we're, we're being puppeted. You see? Bar, the Buddha would say, oh, Mara, I see you. That is, a, there's some state of mind, some... Something was coming in there. He said, Mara, I see you. Mara being that which distorts reality. And to begin to, to journey this thing towards, towards the true, authentic, original face of yourself. The word authentic. Doesn't that, it means something very deep and profound. It means that each one of us is unique. There is no ordinary or average. Every, there's just uniqueness, profound uniqueness. And what life has always wanted from you was that. There's just no easy path to it except through that which we have believed ourselves to be. Because you can't disbelieve what you believed about yourself until you experience it as false, as trance, as just thinking. And that's why each one of us has to journey this thing in solo. Experiencing all those states that we've avoided for so many, many, many years. But we hold ourselves fast. It's just a matter of, I'm not moving from this. Let it, it can say anything it wants. It can tell me anything it wants to tell me. And it will. Because we fed it with our insanity. Insanity is what it's going to say to us. But it's only that. It's only words or attitudes or emotions or convictions or beliefs or opinions. It's all abstract. It's a world of trance. It's a trance of the abstract. There's nothing concrete there. 
that shows itself ever. But if we live within that trance, it means something. Every one of those expressions throws us off. But if you live within existence, nothing can... You see, it's just, it's that close. And there, there is a threshold where whatever the state of mind is, there's comes a natural response of the heart of interest to it. Wow, this is interesting. What's going on there? Why did I say that? Look at this reaction. Why do I think that? Not condemning, but with curiosity. I can't believe that. Look at that. It's like a little kid in a stream under turning up rocks. Weird things are moving. And we're asked to sit still and just participate in that observation. And suddenly we're out of the trance. And when you're out of the trance, you see people in the trance. And your heart goes out. And you don't, it's not a pity. It's like, okay, there's another way. Let's rise to the occasion here. There's another way out of this. We don't have to do this together. Heart to heart, person to person, equal to equal. Come on, let's get out of here together. We're going to jailbreak. <laughs> now, come on, let's jailbreak together. Okay. Can we sit for a minute or two? Remembering. Boredom means nothing. It says nothing about you. It says nothing about reality. It is a state of mind. It's like watching a movie and believing you're in the movie and forgetting you're in the audience. So you don't have to run from boredom. Just see it as another story of trance. Don't be afraid of where the investigation will take you. It will take you out of your self-description. I'm a boring person. 
out of the belief that life is dull and unrewarding. Into the authentic. Enjoy your practice. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.